When you have a generous heart, you recognize the source of that generosity is God himself. Trent Griffith explains. Are you aware of the fact that everything you have was given to you by Jesus? It really all belongs to him. And anytime you give, anything you put in his hand is just putting back in his hand that which rightfully belongs to him anyway. So why does he want me to give? Why did he want the disciples to give? Because he was inviting them to participate in the work that he was doing in the world. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, it's easy for us to get into our own comfort zones and tune out the needs of those around us, isn't it? But every now and then, God jolts us out of our complacency by showing us something that we can't ignore. Here's one example. Recent events have awakened our nation to the fact that not all receive equal treatment in this country. And anger about the unfairness of it all has come to a head. And for some, they're suddenly becoming aware for the first time that there's a problem. Well, Jesus' disciples faced a problem that required an immediate solution. Here's Pastor Trent from last summer, continuing in our series from the Gospel of Luke. Good morning. I am opening my Bible to Luke chapter 9. I trust you're opening yours as well. It's what we come to do, to find out what God is saying to us through His eternal authoritative Word. How many of you feel like last night you got more than enough sleep? Raise your hand. If you got an abundance of sleep, you're so refreshed. How many of you are on the opposite end of that perspective and you just didn't get enough sleep because you live in my neighborhood where the sun goes down at 10 o'clock and that's when the fireworks start going up until about 12, not sensitive at all to the fact that pastors live in this neighborhood who get up while they sleep in on Sunday morning. Sorry, just that was a soapbox. Um, how many of you, let me ask you another question. How many of you feel like you made um, too much money this week? You, you just had an abundance flowing. You had way too, I don't see too many hands. How many of you feel like you should have, you, you didn't get enough? You, you don't make enough money. I see a hand over there from a six-year-old. Um, there's education involved in that and uh, so get a job. Um, how many of you feel like um, you had more than enough time this week? I mean, you just had so much time. I mean, you got to take naps in the afternoon to catch up on the sleep that you lost. And I don't see any hands for it. I have one hand there. Great. How many of you feel like you could have used a little more time? You didn't have enough time. All right. So here, what you are confirming is the reality of human existence. You don't feel like you have enough. And here is what the disciples of Jesus fight to believe. There's a battle going on for the statement in your mind I'm about to make. Here's what disciples of Jesus believe. Without Jesus, no matter how much you have, you'll never feel like you have enough. With Jesus, no matter how little you have, you'll feel like you have enough because Jesus is always enough. That is the title of the message. That is the theme of the passage that we're about to read. And if I can just give you a little review, do you remember last week when Stephen Love was here and preached the paint off the walls? You remember he, he introduced us to what happened in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, just by way of review, just 
just look at it. Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And the rest of the story looked like an Avengers movie. Can you imagine these blue-collar fishermen disciples being given supernatural power to slap down demons and cure diseases? And all day long, everything they did in the name of Jesus created miracles. How many of you could need a, need a miracle? How many of you would like to see a miracle? Can you think of a situation in your life you need God to show up and do a miraculous thing? You wouldn't mind Jesus doing a few miracles in your children? How many of you ladies would like to see God do a miracle in your husband? Yeah. And so uh, how many of you see God do a miracle in your finances, all that stuff? So here we are. We're a bunch of people that don't feel like we have enough and we all need a miracle. Well, you are exactly like the disciples. And so they were given this supernatural power. They went out and everything they did produced a miracle. So can you imagine how that day went? Probably the best day of their lives. I mean, just miraculous things happening everywhere they went. And then we open up to verse 10 and this is what we read. And on their return at the end of the day, the apostles, another word for disciples, the 12 disciples, the apostles told him, Jesus, all that they had done. Does anybody have a problem with that? Everything that they had done was only possible because of the power and the authority that Jesus had delegated to them. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on in the mind of the apostles, but I know, you know, if I woke up and had a 24-hour period of day, I was like Thor and, you know, Captain Marvel and, and everything that I was doing was producing miraculous things, I might be tempted to have an exalted opinion of my power. Am I the only one that would feel that? And I'm thinking that these disciples probably had the same temptation to have an elevated opinion of themselves. Maybe they were tempted to believe that they could actually perform these miracles without Jesus. Maybe they were tempted to believe that all this is because of how good they were and how powerful they were. Maybe they were thinking, man, we could take over the world. We could conquer the universe. Um, and maybe that was what they were tempted. Maybe that's why we read the next sentence. And he, Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. I just get this picture of Jesus taking them like a parent takes a child by his collar and like pulling them out and like sit down. We need to learn some lessons here. He, it says he withdrew. He took them out of the place of public ministry and brought them into this backwoods desert to have a private conversation. There were some things that these disciples still needed to know. They still needed to know they were absolutely dependent upon Jesus for anything spiritual and anything eternal they were doing. That's why the first point of the message is this. Disciples, whether it's these 12 disciples or these disciples that have gathered here at Gospel City Church, disciples of Jesus must continually be reminded of their inability to meet the spiritual needs all around them. If you are not reminded of your inability, you will be tempted to become proud, arrogant, independent, self-sufficient. And Jesus calls them aside to remind them 
of that truth. Look at verse 11. And when the crowds learned it, they learned that Jesus had taken them out of public ministry and set them on the shelf over here in a private place. The crowds learned it. They followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And now the day began to wear away and the 12, interesting, do you see the word 12 there? Why does Luke now refer to them as the 12? Earlier in verse 10, he referred to this group of disciples as the apostles. And now he gives them another nickname, the 12. Just underline that. That's significant. And it won't be the last time you see that in this passage. It says, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. So these disciples were aware of these crowds of people. We're going to find out later it was 5,000 men plus women, if they all had a wife, that's 10,000, plus children, if they all had two children, what's, I, I lost track of the math there, but anyway, something like 10,000, 20,000 people, something like that, somewhere in between that. So these people were pressing in on the disciples. The disciples are immediately aware that these are hungry people. And they are also aware of their inability to feed them. They are out of resources. Now remember, these are the same 12 uh, disciples that were just performing miracles and slapping down demons and curing people of all their diseases. And Jesus has now put them in the middle of a situation they can't solve without him. Welcome to the world of discipleship. Jesus will often put disciples in a place where he asks them to do stuff they have no ability to do so that they will become aware of their dependence on Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Are you aware of the spiritual desolation all around us? Are you aware of the spiritual hunger of the community that is Michiana, South Bend, Elkhart, Mishawaka, Granger, all these different places. When you walk out of this place, you are walking into a spiritual desert. You're walking into a place that for the most part has rejected God, rejected the grace of God, the authority of God's word. They think people that believe in Christ's view of sexuality are nuts and antiquated and bigoted. And we walk into the place of spiritual hunger as disciples of Jesus. Are you aware of the increasing darkness? Are you aware of the opposition? And that's the community that Jesus sends his disciples into. We must become aware. And the gap between the hunger and the supply is the place where we need Jesus to do what we cannot do. This is the only thing that allows me to sleep at night as a pastor, to recognize there is a world of hunger and I have no ability to feed them, and yet I am dependent upon Jesus to do what I cannot do. 
That is the place that every disciple must be. And that's the place that Jesus puts them in, a place of inability and yet a place of dependency. This is what makes ministry possible over the long haul. Remember, this was an exhausting day for these disciples. Jesus pulled them away from public ministry to get refueled and refreshed and revived to go back into the place of spiritual desolation. And we all need that. That's what this service is all about. This is for the refueling and the reviving and the refreshing. We come out of the place of spiritual hunger so we can get fed by God's word, but not just so that we can enjoy the feast, so that we can have the strength now to go feed and meet the spiritual hunger all around us. But we have to remain completely 100% dependent upon Jesus. We do not have the resources to meet the need on our own. And this is the reason Gospel City Church exists. I just want to talk to you. I'm looking at some of these people and you people have been around for decades, not, well, a decade. Some of you have been around for years in this church and you're members and you're invested and you've got this automatic faithfulness thing going on between you and your bank account and the church bank account where it just, there's just, you make a little money and you send a little money and then you're here and you're serving and you're on a volunteer team and, and throughout the week you're leading a small group or you're investing in others. And then there's other people here. You're new to Gospel City. We're so glad you're here, but come and understand this church exists for the purpose of feeding the spiritually hungry in this community. Do you see this church as absolutely vital to the community that we are in? Do you see that? Do you think this church is as essential as the police department? Do you think this church is essential as the fire department? You say, sure. If your house is on fire, that, there might be a little competition. Let me ask you this. Do you believe this church is as important, even more important than the schools, the government? Let me, let me put it this way. Which would you be more disappointed in if you lost both this morning? American Electric Power or Gospel City Church? If you had no lights and no electrical power going in your home, but you had spiritual power going on in your home, that would be enough. Or how many of you is like, I don't think I could live without my microwave. <laughs> how am I going to charge my cell phone? What would you be more disappointed in? If Comcast went out of business or Gospel City Church went out of business? It's getting quiet in here. Your cell phone provider or Gospel City Church? Do you value this church as vital to feeding spiritually hungry people in this community? Or do you just view this place as a place where you can kind of get a shot in the arm and get encouraged and, and just get out of here as quick as you can before you get asked to do too much? Disciples of Jesus must be reminded of their inability to meet the needs all around him. And, and yet the needs all around us call for a, a group of disciples that will engage the spiritual hunger. Here's the second thing. Disciples of Jesus must learn miracles happen when they give what they have to Jesus. Disciples of Jesus learn miracles happen when they give what they have 
to Jesus. Look at verse 13. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. All right, you got the picture here? There's 20,000 hungry people pressing in on them. And they come to Jesus and like, Jesus, you need to send these people away because we don't have what it takes to feed them. And Jesus looks them in the eye and says two words. You give. Those two words have gripped my heart this week. As a matter of fact, I've just kind of scrubbed out the pronoun you and written Trent give. You should do that in your Bible too. Except don't put my name in there. Put your name in there. (laughs) Jesus is calling you to give. And so many times we think it, it's like, we don't, I don't, I mean, I would if I had, but I don't have, so I can't give. But I know somebody who has, so they should give. Jesus, do you know about this person? Do you want me to go talk to this person about the, the need? I could, I could really maybe motivate them to give. And Jesus looks at the people that don't have what they need and tells them to do what they can't do. You give. I mean, they looked at the crowd and they had three options. Like, um, we can send them away or we can go buy food with money we don't have to feed these people. But they never considered the third option. That with Jesus, they could do what they otherwise could not do. And Jesus is calling the disciples in this room to do the same thing. Notice what happened. It says, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all the people. And there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in small groups. That's why we're doing small group leader training. Uh, So he puts them in smaller groups of about 50 each. And when And and they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing over them, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Do you notice how specific the sequence is in all of that? It has very specific meaning. Here's what we need to understand from this passage. As a disciple of Jesus, I need to understand Jesus is not limited by what I have. Did you notice how the first thing the disciples did was they took inventory of what they have. I've met so many people as you begin to have this conversation with people about this discipleship journey of giving out of what we have to meet the needs of the spiritually hungry. And for a lot of people, that is a major step forward in their relationship with Jesus because then it becomes tangible, right? When you actually put what you have in the hand of Jesus, man, that really is an external evidence of an internal faith that I am trusting Jesus because I'm given something I actually have And I'm trusting that in the future, he's gonna give me what I need. That's a spiritual discipleship journey that we're all on. And if you've never begun that process, here's the first step. The first thing you need to do is take inventory of actually what you have. So I I would love to have a conversation with you. Do you know what you have? I mean, do you know 
everything you have. Do you know everything you have in the garage? Do you know everything you have in the closet? Do you know everything you have in a checking account, savings account, CDs, IRAs, I don't know, retirement, all these different things. They're, they're, in this room, I mean, there's ordinary people in this room. I don't think there's a lot of millionaires in this room, but there are millions of dollars of assets in this room. The question is, do we even know what we have? Sometimes we don't know what we have because we're so focused on what we don't have. And we use the excuse that I can't give because I don't have. These disciples says, oh, here's what we have. We got five loaves and two fish. But of course, that's not enough because there's 20,000 people out there. And I don't even think we can break the bread in small enough pieces to get everybody a bite. And yet Jesus said, bring it here, put it in my hand, and he multiplied it. Jesus is not limited by what I have. There are people in this room, I'm looking at some people that are like just starting out, your college students or maybe your, your, your high school students. Listen, don't ever think that giving is somebody else's responsibility. It's not about meeting the need as much as it, it's a need for you to give, to learn, to pry your fingers loose of the things that God has given you so that we can express our reliance and dependence upon him. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're a regular attender of Gospel City Church, if you're a citizen of the Gospel City, then throw in to meet the need because this place exists to meet the need of the spiritually hungry people in our community, including the people that have gathered here today. Jesus is not limited by what I have. And we need to understand that Jesus does not need what I have. We think that somehow, well, I'm really gonna help Jesus out. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw in this week. Listen, are you aware of the fact that everything you have was given to you by Jesus? It really all belongs to him. And anytime you give, anything you put in his hand is just putting back in his hand that which rightfully belongs to him anyway. So why does he want me to give? Why did he want the disciples to give? Because he was inviting them to participate in the work that he was doing in the world. So they had five loaves, two fish. How many of you believe Jesus could have pulled off the miracle with three loaves and one fish. How many of you believe that Jesus could have pulled it off with no loaves and one fish? How many believe Jesus could have done it with like a little minnow? How many believe Jesus didn't even need the minnow? I mean, just didn't need what they had. He could have performed this miracle without them. He could have bypassed them, but he wanted them to participate by giving what they had. And he wants you to participate by giving what you have. And when you give what you have and you participate in what Jesus is doing, you can rejoice and celebrate. This is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? You've heard this, you've been to vacation Bible school. You've been to Sunday school, right? You've heard this story, right? So this story appears in four different places in the Bible. And one of those stories gives us a little bit more detail. And most of you know what the detail is. In John chapter six, verse nine, it actually tells us there was a little boy there who had five loaves and two fish. So where did the disciples get the five loaves and the two fish? One of two options. Either they robbed the little boy or the little boy gave to the disciples. 
so the disciples could give to Jesus. And so, do you understand there's two miracles that happened in this story? The second miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. The first miracle is that there was a 12-year-old boy that pried his hands off of some of his stuff. How many of you have met a 12-year-old boy? How many of you know this is not instinctive? Giving is a learned behavior. And that's why last week when we had vacation Bible school and we had a bunch of kids in the room, we had four, four, it seemed like 4,000, 400 kids who took over every square foot of this facility with 150 volunteers pouring Jesus into them all week long. We, We stopped every night and we encouraged them to get their eyes on the spiritual needs beyond us. We told them about this uh, organization that we partner with as a church called Africans Reaching Africa. And there's a bunch of pastors that are being trained over there at our sister churches, Harvest Bible Chapel sister churches there that are actually being sent out into Northern Africa, a Muslim controlled area closed to people that look like us, but open to people that look like them. And these guys are going in there and they're preaching the gospel and they are planting churches. And we told these children about them. We encouraged them to give. Would you want to give? Meet the spiritual need over there. And so for the, do you know what happened? The first time in the history of Gospel City Church, the boys beat the girls in giving. (laughs) I think think next week we're gonna have a little contest between the boys and the girls in this room about who can give the most, who sees the spiritual needs and who wants to put that in Jesus' hands. Jesus doesn't need what you have, but understand this. Here's the reason why some of you won't give it. Jesus will break what you have. You say, what do you mean? Did you notice the sequence? Little boy gave it to the disciples, disciples gave it to Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He lifted it up, gave it to the Father, and then broke it. It's a picture of what Jesus does every time I give. He's breaking my addiction to my stuff. He's breaking my reliance on self. He's breaking the myth that this stuff will satisfy me. And that's one of the reasons we don't give is because we're so addicted and we don't want Jesus to break it. We think we need it so much. Listen, some of you are being broken right now and you're wondering, what is Jesus doing? Why don't I have a job? Why am I overpaid? Why am I going through this trial? You know what he's doing? He's breaking you so he can use you. Brokenness is a prerequisite for usefulness. The call to generosity is something we can't really respond to without God doing a work in our own hearts. That's Pastor Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church, challenging us to greater levels of giving. If you're a member of a church, I hope you give, not just money, but your time and abilities as well. And if you're a dad, I hope you're generous with your children. Happy Father's Day this weekend, by the way. And if you're married, be generous with your spouse. And remember, it takes the Lord doing a work in our hearts to make us more generous people. So pray and ask God to do that in you. Well, if you're looking for a church, why not consider Gospel City Church? You can stream one of our services online Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when you visit mygospelcity.org live. 
Again, that's mygospelcity.org live. And you'll find more great content on Facebook when you search for Gospel City Church. Well, do you believe that Jesus is enough for you? Like, really enough? That's what Pastor Trent will talk about next week, right here on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. Enjoy your Father's Day weekend. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word and His generosity would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.